Hi, I'm Jim Raffle. Welcome to this week's episode of the Dye Subcast, simply the best place to get information about dye sublimation printing. We talk with equipment manufacturers, consumable manufacturers, dye sublimation producers, and we also share our own experiences from running a dye sublimation business. Doesn't matter if you're new to the dye sublimation business or a seasoned professional with decades of experience. We're certain there is something here for you. So let's get this episode started. I'm gonna turn it over to uh, my partner in business crime, Shelby. So today we're going to be having a talk with Sandy Hubbard, who Jim and I have known for years. Sandy is a marketing strategist and consultant who serves the print publishing and media industry. She's been doing that for decades. She helps clients use a combination of well-written print media and respected digital platforms to add interest and excitement to their marketing campaigns. So welcome to the show, Sandy, and thanks for being here. And uh, please tell us a little bit about your legacy in the printing industry before we get into the questions. Well, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to, to be with you guys in, in real life. Um, we've known each other for, uh, I think, since the beginning of print chat, so 10 years. We've been, all three of us, hanging out on social media. And as far as my own background and leading up to this point, I grew up in a print family. My dad um, had various print jobs over the years. He ran a print shop and a newspaper. And then when I was older, he was uh, the director of the um, print department at the University of Michigan. And at that time, um, and still, they were very cutting edge. Everything that was happening there, I kind of assumed was happening in the rest of the printing industry. But, you know, just like with your guys' technology, uh, you know what the capabilities are and you operate from that standpoint. Um, and people kind of come along at, at different levels. So um, it was very exciting. Um, it was the time of the uh, educational intranet. So he was operating through kind of a hardwired system between the colleges and um, they would, would generate content in one place and print it remotely. So I just assumed that was the way the printing industry worked. When I got into it, um, I saw more of the reality side and that's what drove me to start helping printers not only um, kind of reach their capabilities and leverage them better uh, and be more aware of what's possible, but also just kind of dealing with, you know, I, I'm just a good friend to my clients. People are very hard on themselves. Uh, why can't I do more? And why aren't I, a, you know, have better time management? I mean, we're all so hard on ourselves. And so I'm just at that voice of friendship and reality that says, hey, we'll just keep refining this and um, you'll get better. Don't worry, I'm here to help you out. I really like that because um, you're focusing on relationships and no matter what industry you're in, that's so important in, you know, in, in the business world, it just is. Um, so thanks for sharing that. Um, you mentioned print chat and we do, we will get into that towards the okay. end because you know I know that's a big part of that's how like you mentioned that's how we met and uh you know uh so uh but I wanted to talk you know this is really a podcast about dye sublimation but you are involved in all sorts of printing and mm -hmm. we really want to take advantage of your expertise in marketing so you know no matter what you're making printing uh if you have a great product you know if you're not marketing it and selling it then who cares right so from your you know point of view, what are some tried and true marketing do's and don'ts in dye sub or just the print industry in general these days? Well, I think from the dye sub standpoint, um, it's interesting because I actually do a lot, a lot of kind of small coaching um, through Twitter DMs, which is direct messages. And um, interestingly, I have a lot of dye sub uh, owner operators um, small businesses. So I'll talk about small businesses mostly. Um, and, and they'll say, I need help. And I heard that you're a helping person. Um, and I'll say, well, what, what do you need? I need more sales. So, okay. That's what marketing's good at. It's for driving more sales. But um, when we dig into it, and of course, this is a lot of Q and a back and forth. Um, a lot of what I find let's just say a person's um, three years into their dye sub business, maybe they have one employee or they have um, some people who help them out, but for the most part, they kind of have their fingers in all aspects of their business. The area that I see 
the opportunity that they're not capitalizing on is uh, when you're a small business person, your personality is really just so much of your business. Um, I look at when Jim was building his business and how he put himself out there. Um, you have to be a person of um, character. You have to uh, be the kind of person that someone wants to do business with. You have to do what you say when you're gonna make promises to people. You show up when you say you're gonna show up. There's that whole element and you would say, well, that's not marketing but this is how you grow your business. You know, you can have the best equipment, you can have the best color training, you can have um, a great facility and all the bells and whistles, and you can have actually a lot of marketing pieces that should work and, and do work, but it's that, it's that personal integrity and um, being the kind of person, like I say, that someone wants to do business with, that's, that's what grows a business. Um, and, you know, over the years, I've been in lots of different kinds of businesses. And I have customers who said, you know, the reason I don't even, you know, I could buy from anyone, or I'm not even sure I want that particular product, but I buy because I like working with you. And if you're a small business, and you did a graph, and you said, you know, this particular sale is this percentage of my total sales for the year. So let's say it's 2% of your sales for the year. If you didn't make that sale, I mean, that's part of your profit margin. I hope you have a profit margin. Every time you make one of those kinds of sales, it's important. Um, it's that little 2% sale is important. It aggregates over the course of the year. You, you know, uh, you either make that sale or you don't. And so one of the things I, I try to do with the smaller businesses, let's successfully make that sale. Let's not just say, oh, it's, it doesn't matter. Or, oh, that guy didn't like me or um, I was too busy to follow up or whatever. It's like, you know, your, your character. Um, and I mean, I could go on and on about this, but I, I think you guys would also relate to this. The, the systems that you have um, whether it's a marketing system or, you know, color management system or whatever, those, those steps are really important. You know, if you want an outcome out here, better color, a sale, uh, awareness, whatever it is, you know, you start with what you want and then you backwards engineer what you have to do here. And along the way, there are a million little steps. And, it, and just like in color management, if you don't, if you're not diligent about following those, if you fall off the rails at any point, you're not going to have that outcome. And so that's, you know, one of the things I work with people because again, you know, maybe if you're an engineer, you understand, or if you're, um, if you've worked long enough with systems that you say, hey, if I document this right down to the sub elements and I refine it and I follow it, I'll have good outcomes. So Sandy, that's great. And I guess what I'm, I'm wondering is circling back to the beginning, you said um, these, these small operators, which is a huge part of our audience, um, what they're looking for is more sales. Yes. And that you tell them to essentially be themselves online. Yes. How do you tell them to do that? I mean, that's, that's what, like, what's this and you <laughs> processes. So is there a process that you recommend? Is there is there something that you, you know? Well, um, you know, in coaching people, you find the areas that they feel not confident about. Um, one young man who was just in the first year of his dice up business. And again, we went back and forth and I, I would text him something and he would text me back. And I said, okay, you know, it was a, about a week later. I said, from everything that we've talked about, I'd like you to write up a list of say the 10 things that, that you're going to work on and then take a screenshot of that list or you know if you're doing it in some form, but send me that list. I wanna see what you think you need to work on next. And, um, and it's very interesting because what 
what I think people should work on. I mean, it really has to boil down to what, you know, where they think they need work and what they're willing and able to do next. And, and I would say a lot of times also with younger people, um, they just get very excited. They put the cart before the horse. Um, they want to get out there and, and, and show what they have. And it's all about the equipment and the razzle dazzle instead of about the client. And um, so, you know, a lot of it is, is that follow-up, um, being diligent about contacting people, um, you know, not over-promising things, and, and also not just um, sharing your wares all the time. Uh, you know, ultimately you hope that that person will, you know, if you're, if you're, if you've got a product line that you're especially proud of or whatever, you hope that person will opt into it. But ultimately it's, a, as you know, it's about those conversations with people and finding out where they are, what they need, maybe being a referral source for someone else and creating relationships where you can um, refer other trustworthy people and they'll refer you. Um, it's a big, it's a big concept for people to understand. I, I definitely think finding good experts out there. I think the vendors in the field are amazing. Um, in the DICEB equipment, all the, all the vendors want to be helpful. They want their customers to be successful. They have great tips for people. Um, and again, it's about finding the expert you're comfort, comfortable with, following the advice, and then filling in in places where, you know, let's say you're shy and you don't really like knocking on doors or making phone calls, but finding experts who can help you either do that, but in a different way or, or just become more comfortable doing it. Jim and I had an experience just like that, Sandy, um, just a couple, three months ago. Um, we were contacted by a prospective client and we'd never worked with this person before and they wanted us to come in and do some color management work. And so we put in a bid basically. And later on, we've, you know, we, we got the work and we went there and later on, we found out that, um, you know, people in the industry talk to each other, right? So Jim and I have, you know, a little back and forth. Everybody knows that they've seen us talk at trade shows. Boy, I miss that, you know, but so this person hired us, even though we came in higher than some of the other bids, because they talked to someone else that we had worked with in the industry. And they're like, oh, Jim and Shelby are so fun to work with and they get the work done, but you know, this and that. And, you know, so sometimes it doesn't even come down to, you know, how much, you know, what your service costs, it comes down to, you know, someone else says, hey, I've worked with these people and we really recommend them. And that's how we got in there. So, right, exactly. And, and, that's, and that's one of the other things about prospecting. Um, I think when you start a business or you're, um, or you have a product, uh, uh, let's say you do um, opt, print on objects and you say, well, everybody likes my product. So I'm going to sell to everybody. And that's another thing that I coach people on. I'm like, let's do one or the other thing. Let's either pick a vertical and sell to it. So those people will talk to each other. Even if you, even if they don't buy from you, you'll have a successful interaction with them and they may refer you or they'll agree to be contacted as a, you know, testimonial. Um, or we pick a geographic area and a lot of times the geographic area is great because it's convenient um, especially if you're an owner operator i mean you have limited time so you know i just say take a compass do the three mile radius just start doing those concentric circles and you know even even in times of covid you can prospect on foot um i I help a friend with ad sales for his newspaper and, you know, people are in their shops. They'll come to the door and, and talk with you for a minute. And um, if you're respectful and uh, you can leave some materials behind or show samples or whatever. So I think um, either of those routes are really helpful because again, with geographic, especially if you're in a business area, you know, you can talk to someone. And then even if that person says, well, you know, we're, not interested in that right now, but thank you. Then you can just go to the next place and say, hey, I was just talking to so-and-so next door about, you know, you, as you're making small, small talk, that is a door opener, whether that person bought from you or not. 
you've just added some credibility and authority by saying the person next door actually let me get a foot in the door for five minutes. And um, if they thought I was okay, then maybe you'll let me have five minutes. I mean, I wouldn't say it that way, but that's the concept. So you just keep leveraging that. So Sandy, would you say, so it's kind of funny. We had a question kind of queued up here for you. And I'm going to kind of, I'm going to ask it backwards now. Um, (laughs) So it sounds like you're almost saying that marketing hasn't really had to change all that much during the pandemic. Um, Yeah, actually, you know, I would say procedurally, um, if you were operating at the top of the marketing game, you could probably get away with um, not having to change too much. But I'll tell you what has changed. Your competitor has gotten better. Um, your competitor either has was desperate and did what had to be done, or they took advantage of this time and these tools um, and, and channels that have become busier to become better at marketing themselves. And um, I find that in my own business. Boy, uh, marketing strategists for the printing industry who never poked their head up out of the ground unless maybe they had a, you know, a little good old boy contract, all of a sudden everybody's out there and, um, and getting better at, at zoom and, and everything else. So I I would just say, do not rest on your laurels. If you have something that works, just, uh, you know, leverage your channels, push yourself to get better prospect all the time. Keep, keep your muscle strong. So can we talk about trade shows for a minute? Is that, is that a good topic to? Yeah, sure. Okay, great. So I think you and I have met um, have. one trade, one or two trade shows. Yeah. And so those were in-person events where our, you know, our friend Deb did the uh, printerverse. Correct. Um, Deb for her birthday, by the way. It's Deb's birthday? Yeah. Happy birthday, Deb, even though by the time you listen to this, it'll be over. <laughs> We'd sing, but Shelby knows how I sing. <laughs> so um, I, what's your feeling about all the uh, virtual shows, trade shows? Have you had a chance to attend one? And you, what do you think? Well, let's make a distinction between the trade shows, which I would call an equipment show, and, and the Talking Heads conferences. Okay. Um, I've, I've attended both. Uh, as far as the Talking you've attended Heads... Both, you've attended both virtually? Yeah, virtually. Uh, the talking head conferences, you know, I think, again, same concept as, as marketing, people are, are getting better at presenting those and um, have high, attendees have high expectations about the content and the quality and the video, audio quality, everything, you know, by this point, a year later, they're expecting that something will be professionally done. Um, and that, Hopefully we're not just listening to the same old folks that tend to show up at conferences and, you know, that we're hearing, in my opinion, I hope we're hearing more diverse voices, uh, better representation from the industry, and that um, we're hearing new, new information that makes it worthwhile to take time out of your day to attend these things. It's not just the rehashed stuff that sometimes you do hear when you attend in person, you're like, oh yeah, I kind of know that already, but oh well. Um, so I think there's still room for improvement in the conferences or the you know talking head conferences. Um, trade shows is always you know when you're looking at equipment. Um, I'm just very complimentary to the vendors. Uh, I said earlier I think they're very good at training and um, very aware of the challenges that their customers have, and I think they do a good job with their events, whether it's um, a training event or, or presenting a piece of equipment or um, talking about the capabilities and things that people can um, either bolt on through a modular system or le- features that they're not maybe not leveraging um, or software capabilities that maybe can enhance what they're doing if they upgrade. So uh, as always, I mean, really, in my world, my preference would be to to go to an equipment show in real life or an equipment presentation online. Um, I'm planning to attend the TAGA presentations coming up in, I think it's about a week. 
uh, which are always excellent hearing scientists and, and uh, engineers talking about what's possible. Again, it's that same thing I grew up with, which is, you know, they're years ahead of what general implementation is and and you can only improve by hearing what's what's possible and and meeting the people that can make it happen so well i i love tag that was one of my uh first exposures to the industry so what does that stand for technical association of the graphic arts yeah. and i was uh it used to be a freestanding uh, association and or organization it wasn't really an association and um, it became part of Printing Industries of America, which means it's now part of Printing United Alliance. Um, right. And I was actually exposed to it in the early 80s as a student at Rochester Institute of Technology. We, we formed one of the first student chapters. So wow. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's, a great, it's a great organization that I wish I had more time to be involved in these days. Um, Sorry for that trip down memory lane. No, I was just going to say one of my favorite publications that I loved to read with a highlighter pen was a GATF publication uh, where, you know, it's like real scientists and yeah. experts, you know, maybe the content was a little bit dry, but I'd read them over and over and over again. And it was the same thing. It's like you'd read it three years later and you'd be like, oh, people are now starting to Yep. implement this or you know you go to a tag a thing 15 years ago and they're talking about you know droplets and you know who's talking about droplets not no one in our industry maybe in the dot matrix industry or something so you know it's very it's very fun especially if you're an imaginative person you're like okay okay this is like science fiction i'm on it when still on the trade show topic do you yeah. think person is going to come back this year like so many people are optimistic it's going to happen I don't know you know we've we've surveyed folks and I think you know if the vaccine rolls out the way it seems to at least in North America and um people are just craving these in-person events I think there'll be some smaller events I don't know about the really huge ones um, I think there's still some proof in the pudding about that, but um, I think people want, I think people want to go. Uh, and I think, you know, this is just occurring to me, but in the last few years of trade shows before everything shut down, things were really becoming kind of like the tan box. You know, you weren't seeing a lot of big iron on the floor. You were seeing, um, a lot of digital equipment and easy to bring in and set up kind of equipment. And I hope people kind of say, hey, you know what, we, we miss the noise and the smells and the fun of having big equipment out there. Um, so I, I hope we start seeing some of the big presses again. And, um, you know, people realize what a loss that was to not have those at the shows. As, as I always like to say, I love the smell of ink in the morning. <laughs> That's right. I, I really do. I'm not, I'm not kidding. I still, I'm one of those guys who gets a, most of my books are digital. I'm not going to lie just because I travel and it's more convenient, but every now and then I buy a paper book and I love cracking it open and yeah. fanning the pages and smelling the ink. So, um, which probably explains a lot about me. All right, so I want to, before we do this last topic, print chat, I'm going to sneak one in here on the two of you. Um, there's, there's something going on this week in the, in the world of print as it relates to women, which both of you obviously are. Um, you want to talk about that real quick? Isn't this the week you're doing the, the women's stories or am I a week off? Uh, well, we're doing them all, all month long. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a yeah, month. It's print, okay. print her story month. Uh, and that's that's an initiative by Deborah Korn and Print Print Media Center. But companies all over the industry are providing their own little um, profiles of women in their companies or participating in Deborah's program. But we did a print chat last week on the topic uh, just to remind folks. And um, I was there. Yeah, it's a it's the second year of it being a big thing. 
Um, and then last year, we, we I shouldn't say we, it's Deborah's program, but there were uh, weekly um, webinars and those were really fun live webinars. So, yeah. I just saw, I saw, I caught it. So well, I didn't actually catch print chat. The cool thing about Twitter is I, I went and looked at the hashtag later because I, I saw some, I saw our company get tagged a couple of times. And so, um, which told me Shelby was probably there and <laughs> I'm glad you were able to make it Shelby because that was cool. We, uh, we often speak about um, this being a, an industry that is excessively dominated by old white men of which I am one. Um, and that we do need more diversity in this uh, in this industry, both in all in, in everything that that word means. Um, and so I'm really glad you're able to join us. I think you're only our second official female guest. We had a third and for whatever reason that didn't work out yet. Hopefully we can make it work out, but we're trying to do our part. Um, and so I just I wanted to work that in there. Um, yeah, it's uh, if I can just interject. Um, there's a Girls Who Print LinkedIn group, and uh, again, owned by Deborah Korn, but it's, uh, we've got maybe 6,500 women in there. And um, it's, it's really a great place for, you know, if, if you are a women, young woman fresh out of college or, or if you are an owner operator and looking for resources, it's really nice to be in a LinkedIn group where you can, feel free to ask a question without um, either getting, uh, you know, you don't have to be embarrassed to ask something like, how can I negotiate a better um, career package or, or uh, how can I, um, you know, do better contractually with my vendor, any of those things that maybe you might not want to put out there in a, in a bigger group. It's a, it's a great environment for that. And to be honest, I mean, the colleges are really doing, I think, a good job of getting women into the print programs. Um, you know, the last TAGA uh, event that I attended, there were a lot of women there. So I'm very hopeful. I think, you know, where the scales tend to be tipped is that you still have a lot of um, executive level men and also company owners that don't show any desire to retire or sell at any point. So, you know, population wise, you still have a lot of men in the industry, but there's, there's a, just a great amount of women at the, you know, uh, young, young level and up to, you know, maybe their mid thirties. So I'm, I'm very hopeful about that. Well, and I see more people of color too. That would be great. Absolutely. And I always like to remind people who can't see us on video, maybe someday we'll put some of these up on, on YouTube, but, um, you know, behind Shelby is a heat press and she's got a little printer there. And so she actually is a, a small die sub operator. And I think a lot of the, um, smaller home-based and hobbyist die sub oper operations are, um, at least either female run or female participated in. Mm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that, that we, we took that little sidetrack because now I want you, I want to talk about really what Shelby lead it, led off with. Right. So, you want me to take this question in, Shelby, or you want to? Go ahead. Okay. So obviously, print chat, right? I mean, um, it's it's been fairly successful. I know it was originally kind of started by Quad Graphics, and um, that that Deb and I think with your help took it over. You know, several years ago, I'm mm -hmm. more than several. Ten, ten yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so um, so it's become quite a community on Twitter. And um, why don't you tell our listeners who aren't on Twitter? how a chat works or maybe they're on Twitter and they haven't done a chat and then, and then uh, maybe tell your own print chat story. Okay. Sounds good. Well, if you're on Twitter, you can go up to the little search bar and type in hashtag, which is the number sign and then print chat, which is all one word. And Twitter will return to you various columns of options. One is, you know, people who participates or who runs it. And you'll see my face there. Uh, and Deborah, who's the owner of the chat. Um, and you might see videos and media options and so forth. But on the far left, you'll see latest, which uh, is oh, top, you'll see top. So those are the most popular things that people have put out on print chat that have gotten good engagement. And then next to that, you'll see latest. So that's the chronological or reverse chronological column. If you wanted to actually go and kind of 
watch a chat either in real time or scroll back and, and look at it later. Um, but we have participants from all over the world, which I'm really proud of. Um, we have a lot of folks in Europe, just because the timing works out relatively well for them. We, we hold it at four o'clock uh, Eastern time on Wednesdays. And so that's bedtime for our European friends. Um, and then our friends down under, uh, they're either just getting up or they get up early for us, which I really appreciate. And then we actually do have some friends in uh, Asia, India, um, who wake up at, you know, three o'clock in the morning or whatever their, their time is and, and participate, or they watch later, like Jim said, you can go back and look later and, and they'll still post something to the hashtag. So, you know, you can read it anytime and you can post to it. You don't have to be a member. Um, there's no membership or anything. It's just whoever wants to show up. So if you have a Twitter account, um, you can come chat with us. Um, and we have really good instructions before the chat. So kind of tune in early and we'll tell you either how to participate right there on Twitter, or you can go to one of our platforms and, and chat with us that way, which makes it a little bit easier. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really fun. It's a great group of people, you know, over the years it's evolved where, uh, sometimes we have a lot of brands who participate and those would be the big brands that everyone's aware of like HP and Xerox and Canon. And, um, and sometimes we just have kind of a small group of eggheads who just like hanging out together. It's, um, it kind of ebbs and flows, but, um, we do measure, participation engagement on the hashtag and Deborah um, said it since she's been measuring it we've got I don't know how many billion impressions but you know collectively it's it's a lot of folks who are aware of the hashtag um, either watching it privately we call them lurkers but it might be someone on their lunch hour or maybe a brand person who's uh, doesn't really have the authority to participate um, and then a lot of times it's just people who love print. Um, and I love having them as well because they're, everybody knows why they love print. Um, they're, they're, you know, just as much of an expert as anyone else in talking about, um, you know, maybe not the mechanics of printing, but a lot of our topics are, are really open to everybody. So I hope, I hope people, you know, check it out, feel free to show up. You don't, don't have to be an expert and even if it's kind of moving fast which it does sometimes um just jump in where you can and say hi we would love to have you you know once upon a time jim and i ran a weekly chat and one of i the, remember that one of the things that just you know was hard to do for us i think you know ours was both mostly about social media in general but coming up with topics for an hour-long weekly twitter chat how do you guys do that how do you keep that up? What's what's your pro, what what's your secret sauce? <laughs> Our secret sauce. Uh, it's funny. I do remember your chat, and I remember Dave was your your number one fan. Uh, so it's always fun to uh, even if I didn't catch the chat, I could, would catch him jumping in. So uh, it is challenging, you know. Um, Deborah does a really good job. She's the main person who comes up with the ideas and. Um, so much of, you know, at least as, a, as looking at what she's doing, um, she's just very aware of current events. She attends a lot of industry um, events that she draws from and, you know, we'll do something, uh, let's say the Super Bowl is coming or um, Valentine's Day is coming. So we'll tie it in with whatever's going on. And, um, but, you know, there are definitely things that people love to talk about. We could talk about them every year and no one gets tired of it. People love talking about how they first became aware of print or, or realized that they really liked it a lot. Um, and the childhood memories go back, have, you know, early roots. People, uh, they may not have been aware of the printing process but they knew that whatever that printed item was that they were interacting with, they, they liked it more than their friends liked it, whether it was a book or um, in my case, a newspaper. 
I was, you know, if I said, oh, I read the, you know, I was an early reader, but if I read the newspaper and people were like, oh, isn't that cute? She likes the newspaper. It's like, no, I really like the newspaper. Um, and I know Shelby can relate to that. You know, it's how you end up in the journalism industry when you love the sound of newspapers crackling. And um, so, yeah, people love certain topics to come around and around. We try and put a little different spin on it just to keep it interesting. But, um, you know, really our goal is to um, make the world more aware of print through our conversations. So we're not trying to convince anyone in the chat about print. We all love print already, but each of us has our own networks that span out into the non-printing world. And we're hoping that as we're discussing these subjects, um, people will realize how pervasive print is in their lives. They won't take it for granted. They'll, they'll say, you know, not only if I go into a grocery store, everything I'm looking at has print on it, but it, a lot of it has the kind of print that we're not even aware of, whether it's a barcode or a, a temperature label that tells us if something's um, getting ready to go bad or uh, if it's a, a security uh, item that's gonna you know, set off the alarms if you walk out with it. All kinds of print that you know, just have so much impact on our daily lives. And as we have these conversations in print chat, people do pop in and they're like, oh, here's my experience with that. Or, oh, I had no idea that that was a printed item or, um, you know, so awareness and making it make people understand that it's uh, an industry. It's a huge industry. It's a huge financially. It's a huge industry. Uh, uh, employment wise, it's a huge industry. And so we tend to, you know, when you're a participant in it, you don't realize like we're a huge percentage of all the money that flows around in the world. So be proud. We are, we are. All right, so we wanna thank you for taking your time to, to share with our audience today. And this is, the, uh, this is the fun part of the show where we uh, <laughs> go into our rapid fire questions. So Yay. <laughs> there's, there's three left, two of them we get to ask you and then you get to ask us one, almost anything. Okay. We got to put that almost in there because you never know in this industry, especially. So let's start with what do you see as the most interesting trend in either dye sublimation or because you're so connected with print, the print industry in general today? Well, I'm not super um, familiar with dye sub from a, an equipment standpoint, but I think in all industries where you have a large percentage of owner operators, um, anytime you have really solid modular choices, um, either where software can connect the pieces or, or the, you know, mechanically you can connect the pieces. But I think modularity um, is really important. Um, you know, it's hard when you're deciding where's my business going to be in three years. What should I buy for now um, that will that I can afford that I can uh, grow into? And you know you want to trust your vendors. And like I said, I think the vendors do a great job, but their vision of what your possibilities are and your personal reality don't always you know align. So you just have to be really truthful with yourself and say uh, what. You know, what I buy now has to be um, good quality, has to be, you know, I guess I would never cheap out on quality for affordability. So buy the best you can buy uh, with room to grow. And so that's one of the great things about modular equipment is either you can uh, bolt on, I say bolt on, but I mean that figuratively, um, you can grow modularly and then also the same with the software it's like you know opt into the package you will give you some space to grow and that has potential that you're not going to just be closed off if all of a sudden you're just really successful at this so you know those are big decisions but that's that's one of the great benefits of digital uh printing is that um you know if you are wise and i would just say um <clears throat> Again, you and Shelby are great resources for, for your community um, and just pointing out to people that 
yes, your vendors, you know, if you've got a vendor of choice and whatever, but get get other opinions about um, what your options are and how you can grow and and what uh, you know how to do that the most strategically. I don't even know if that was the question, but I just think really in any industry that's super important. Well, it's a great answer because um, I what I heard and it, which was always turns out to be a little different than what you said, but what I heard was buy solutions with an opportunity to grow without having to throw that solution away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's what I meant. <laughs> What's your favorite color, Sandy, and why? My favorite color, um, I love color. I love color. Uh, when I was a little girl, this isn't my favorite color, but when I was a little girl, a woman came up to me and she said, you look really good in red. You should wear it all the time. And I thought, red, red is great. And then uh, I wanted to be, when I first had my first job, I was a, I was a film video producer and I was, uh, again, a, a woman in a very, very male dominated industry. So I intentionally wore pink just to kind of throw it in people's face. Uh, and I look and I look good in pink. I loved pink. Um, but I have to say, I just have a super affinity with the color turquoise. And um, it's from a color composition standpoint that I love it. Um, it's because, uh, you know, it, I, obviously they didn't have color sliders when we were kids, but if they did, um, you know, if you gave me the color slider between blue and yellow and between black and white, I mean, I could nail my favorite color. People would say, oh, do you like this shirt? It's your color, it's teal. It's like, no, teal is not turquoise people. Um, and, and the, and the, uh, and again, you know, when I first started learning about, uh, gray balance and so forth, and I'm like, yeah, see, see, these are the things that people don't, I can look at a color and, and see the components of it as if it were, um, just unfolding like origami in front of my eyes. You know, people are like, oh, there's no yellow in that. I'm like, oh no, that is tomato. That is not red. That is tomato. And there's yellow in that, um, I probably, as I get older, everything looks like tomato because, you know, your eyes turn yellow. But anyway, I just, I love the components of color. I, I have no technical understanding of it other than um, an appreciation for, uh, you know, a gradient that I think personally, I can identify much more precisely than most people. So I think you have more of a technical understanding of color than you think you do from listening <laughs> Well, it's your turn. You can ask us anything, just almost anything, I should say. <laughs> well, over the years, I've seen Shelby uh, cooking and showing things on Twitter. And, um, and I've seen Jim eating and showing pictures on Twitter. So my question is, if you could cook some, you know, your favorite thing or eat your favorite thing, what would that be and why? I'll go first. Um, I have a five hour sauce that I like to make. It's a pasta sauce. It has meatballs and spare pork ribs in it, boneless. Um, and it literally takes me five hours to make the entire thing. I only do it on special occasions, but everything is, um, if, if I do it the right, real right way, I would even crush up tomatoes. Sometimes if I do that, it, sometimes it becomes a six hour sauce, but uh, that's my favorite thing to make. I do it maybe two or three times a year because it's just so time consuming. It's like you're the um, mafia Sunday sauce, you know? Oh, cool. It sounds good. I can't wait to come over and try it. So that was your favorite thing to make. And I'm going to give you time to think about your favorite thing to eat, which might be the same thing, but give it some thought. Um, that I'm, I'm, it's going to sound like I'm just you know, making this easy, but that is actually one of my favorite. I have so many favorite things to eat, but that is actually one of my favorite things to eat is her uh, five-hour sauce with the meatballs. I'm not going to lie. That's, that's some good stuff. Did I make that for you and Cheryl when you came to visit? You did make that. Yeah, you did. Um, one of my favorite things to make is pizza, but not just any pizza. I, um, I make the dough from scratch. Uh, Shelby would say it's not really scratch because I put it in a bread maker, but it's still scratch. <laughs> um, I just, I just use automation to uh, simplify my task a little bit. Um, so I hand roll my own dough at that point. 
and then I have a when I'm really into it and I have the time. Uh, a friend, actually, a Twitter friend of all things, provided me with a pizza sauce recipe that is to die for. It's well, it doesn't take five hours. It does take. It takes some time. It takes probably at least an hour, maybe ninety minutes to make it right. Um, and you know, it, it's not just out of a jar. There's tomato paste in there, and and all of that. Um, I can't tell you what's in it though. It's secret. Um, <laughs> I was I was sworn to secrecy when I was given the recipe because it's a, it's one of those family recipes. And then of course I you know I grate my own grate my own cheese. I don't buy the grated cheese and um, and you know. And then it's you know, then it's about toppings from there on, right? So it's just whatever we're in the mood for. Ours are usually very veggie heavy and very meat light. Um, I'm not a huge fan of meat on pizza. I, I will do it. I like pepperoni, but um, I prefer like a really homemade veggie pizza on one of my crusts with that sauce. And haven't had one like that in a couple of years because it's it's a it's an undertaking. You know, it's a it's a weekend thing. Um, so Shelby, what's your favorite thing to eat? You're going to laugh when I say this, Jim, but you're also going to say, yeah, it's true. You order it all the time. I'm a child. I love grilled cheese. I just love grilled cheese. It, it just makes me feel so it, was coming. Yeah. it makes me feel like home. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, if I'm having a bad day, I make myself a grilled cheese. My Yummy. favorite thing to eat is dessert. <laughs> and my favorite dessert of all time is creme brulee. I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah. Sex mix didn't come into this because you have a Chex Mix addiction problem and I make a really good Chex Mix and your wife makes a really good Chex Mix. Do you know his wife hides the Chex Mix from him? Because if he, if he has access to it, he'll eat the whole thing. She doesn't really hide it. She positions it where I don't know where it is. And then she rations it out. <laughs> That's the same thing. <laughs> so. It sounds better, right? <laughs> good answers. I'm hungry now. <laughs> right? It's like now I want to check. I know. I need a pizza or some good sauce. Yummy. <laughs> All right. So, Sandy, yeah. um, where can our listeners find you? And I think we already kind of covered where to find print chat, but you know, where, where do you want people to look for you online? Um, okay. So, I'm going to be like the tough love mom here. And I'm going to say if you're not on LinkedIn, shame on you. Um, if you're a professional, you need a LinkedIn presence and you need more than like 20 connections. Um, I want you to connect with me on LinkedIn. So create a profile if you haven't, and then say that you heard me here, because if you only have five connections, I'm not going to take you seriously. Um, and yeah, and then I, I, I really, you know, um, I'm a real person. I'm not just like, Hey, I want thousands of people connected to me and not have any relationship with them. So I love hearing about what people's challenges are. Um, you know, I ran a magazine for the printing industry for 22 years and, and my customers, my people that paid me money were the vendors because they ran the ads, but my readers were the printers and, um, Everybody would contact me and just say, hey, here's what I'm going through. How can you help me? What, what do you know? And I am well connected in the industry. If, if I can't, if I don't have an idea for you, I can point you to somebody who can help you. So I, I would say, you know, professionally, you should be doing that anyway, building your network. But seriously, like connect with me. Feel free to ask me questions um, if I get tired of you. And I'll just be like, hey, not right now, or hey, go in this group and ask them. But um, I like being helpful. And, and you know, I'm like a very systematic person, um, which is why I think for this community, I'm, I'm a good fit because I'm not like, hey, let's try 100 different things and waste a bunch of money on it. I'm, a, I'm super systematic and I don't waste pe people's time or their money. So I... I would just say, you know, find me on LinkedIn. Let's talk. If you have a challenge, I seriously will try to point you in the right direction. And, um, and I'm a consultant. So if you want to work with me on marketing, I can help you with that too. That's that LinkedIn advice is fantastic. You know, I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you kind of forced people. That's you're right. I'm a wrist right now. Cause you know, I, I need to do better with LinkedIn myself. <laughs> Know that I know it and it always comes down to a time thing and you know that's no excuse but you know you're you just made me say I'm gonna log into LinkedIn <laughs> I was actually yesterday I was thinking you know what if I um I just led a 
you know, one hour Zoom meeting from time to time where we just marched through some of the things that I think the LinkedIn algorithm is focusing on because it's not just who you're connected to and what people notice it's it's like Facebook or anywhere else where you know the algorithm is only going to push you out or or promote you if certain things are going on and so there's ways that you know um, you can amplify yourself just by being more strategic uh, so and I know what LinkedIn's looking at right now so you know we should all so we'll, have so we'll close with if if yeah. you're looking for some marketing help in professionally, I can tell you LinkedIn is a very, very good place to be. Um, Shelby is always shocked when I know you're not shocked anymore, but um, I, we get a tremendous amount of business through LinkedIn in, in the DMS direct mm-hmm. message, um, like tremendous um, tens of thousands of dollars a year um, come in through leads and conversations that occur in DM. So if you're not on LinkedIn, you should be on LinkedIn. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to double down on your, on your. Yes, you concur. Yeah. And, uh, and if you need help, it sounds like you've got a consultant who, who you can actually pay to help you set up the right profile and, and, uh, and go far with it because it, it's, it's worth spending the time. It, it is of all the time I spend online. And I, I, I like Shelby don't spend as much time there as I should, but it's definitely got the best return on investment. It's not as much fun as Twitter. I'm not going to lie. But it uh, it has it has very very good return on investment and what what I and probably you and, and the most successful people on LinkedIn do is different than what we do in other social networks. So it's, it would be great to work with someone like Sandy who can help you with that. Yeah. Yeah, and I just want to put in a plug. Also, I'm uh, you know every everybody has you know pretty much a s- similar tools that that marketing can can offer you. And obviously I'm well-versed in all of that, but if you're a small company um, and you're trying to keep things affordable, you know, I, I can help you with uh, whether you want to do an email newsletter or if you're um, uh, looking at how social media can become a conversion um, platform like Jim was talking about. You don't just like start selling stuff to people and hoping that you know, it's not, doesn't work like that, but those are the, the conversations that we can have and looking at, you know, if you are, or if you're doing a, uh, a local campaign and you want to use direct mail or whatever, but, um, but a lot of it just, you know, really comes down to your goals and your situation and so forth. But, you know, like Jim said, LinkedIn, if you're a business person, you, you need a professional presence there. It, even if people aren't going to connect with you or buy from you there, they're going to check you out. And if you look like you're not serious, you know, that's a a mark against you. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. You guys have a great show. I'm uh, very impressed with the DICEP community and I look forward to learning more from you all and uh, meeting more of you. So really do reach out. Thank you.